Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Yeah, we can have just a long, lengthy, celebratory linger over Tiger Roll's brilliance yesterday. I'm very happy to do so in the company. A regular Luck on Sunday contributor, David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror after his biggest day in the sporting year. And Daryl Jacob, Grand National Hero of 2012, completed the course yesterday on Valtor. And good to see you here, Daryl. And thank you very much for coming in. It's been an insane, frenetic week. So our grateful thanks. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Good to be here. Thank you very much. And how, how did you feel yesterday after it, after it was all over? Um, to be fair, I didn't have much time to think about it because you tried to get out before the last race to avoid all the traffic. So uh, it was a quick shower, changed, and uh, down the motorway. And just a, a week like that, uh, we all feel the adrenaline and the energy and the rush and the unique buzz of the place. How much does it affect the, the jockeys? Uh, look, it's, it's a massive week, isn't it? I mean, you've got um, some very good horses that are, you know, have been primed for, for, for the week and... Um, you know, there's some super racing, and uh, you know, it's a it's a massive buzz. I mean, it's 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 like Cheltenham, but it's sort of a different sort of a pressure than what Cheltenham is. But um, you know, when you know, when you, whenever you get a winner, it's it's just a magic week, really. Dave, a special moment for a newspaper man yesterday, and a sort of gift from the gods for you guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, when you write match reports on races, you know, there's chat in the in the press room like, what's the line here? And of course, yesterday. It was just, if, if you couldn't find the line yesterday, you really are struggling. 45 years. Uh, it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been doing, well, the Mirror job for, uh, what is it, 17 years now. And been in racing journalism for 28. And obviously, as the years go by, you, your immunity to the, to the, the sort of emotional stories, it, it does rise but yesterday was just one of those me those events where you drove home you know proud and 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 so happy that you'd seen history being made you know 45 years obviously red rum such a uh, a huge name within jump racing and for such a remarkable little horse to do well the 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 double yeah it was was immense, you know. It, it really was. I, I hate saying those like I was there moments, but it really was one of those. Well, one man who can always find the right line in victory or defeat is the owner of Tiger Roll, uh, Michael O'Leary. And this is what he had to say on his flight home yesterday. I got some criticism last year by limiting it to one drink per person so that the crew could get to the end of the aircraft, but now you have two drinks per person. 
Michael O'Leary, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, David. Good morning, Daryl. Um, I, I mean, it's disgraceful that Gordon Elliott was sitting all the way back in row 10, but I think we'll, we'll excuse you that. I'm guessing nobody ordered a ham and cheese panini either. Uh, the, the problem, actually, when you give a free bar on a short flight from Liverpool to Dublin, is about four rows of people there it didn't get served. <laughs> it, was, it was a great day. We had uh, uh, Gordon in row 6, uh, Davy in row 8, and then the owner was back in row 10. It's a very cosmopolitan flight on from the, a Ryanair flight from Liverpool to Dublin. Oh, now, that is, that is the correct order. Michael, such a special day yesterday. You've enjoyed wonderful, wonderful days in the sport, Grand Nationals before, Gold Cups. But there was something magical about yesterday afternoon. There really was. I, I agree. I, mean, I think they, you know, and I think... Uh, is the way the public have latched on to Tiger Roll, I think, has been incredible. And, you know, everybody was set up for a disappointment yesterday. History tells you that they don't come back and win two Grand Nationals. You know, they go up in the weights. He's a small horse. Um, and to win one, you know, uh, to win one was a phenomenal achievement for the horse himself. Um, and you couldn't have written a better story. You know, I thought the atmosphere there yesterday was terrific. There was a huge stag party of fellas dressed up in Tiger suits who were amazing. <laughs> And I think there was just a general sense of joy in the occasion. And, you know, without wishing ill on any other horse, I think, you know, the right horse won the race. It made for a wonderful story. You know, too often racing suffers criticism or negative headlines. And it was just very hard not to be positively thrilled, I think, for the horse. He's a little horse. Um, and for Gordon, for Davey, for Keith Donahue, has who transformed his jumping. It was just a, it's a great story and one of those, uh, as David rightly says, you know, we can all say we were there. And you, you, apply, you and your brother apply an awful lot of thought into how to source and acquire the, the best horses, beautifully bred horses, horses who've done well in, in other spheres. Does it ever occur to you the, the irony that the horse that's perhaps going to be the most celebrated and fated horse you own is perhaps one into whom there was possibly sort of less... Uh, science involved in sourcing him? Uh, yes, but I think in many ways that's the great joy of jump racing. You know, on the flat it tends to be the very best families, the best pedigrees, the most expensive horses. I mean, the great joy for, I think, all of the jump racing is that usually it's the freak who comes through. You know, Red Rome was a freak. Tiger Roll was, a, you know, bought to be a, four, a, a four-year-old hurdler. You know, we thought he had his job done, but he won the triumph hurdle. And it is, I think, the story that, you know, you take a small four-year-old four -year -old hurdler who over a couple of seasons with a brilliant trainer transforms into a four-mile chaser in Cheltenham, a cross-country winner in Cheltenham, and now a double grand national winner. It, you know, it is a marvellous story, but it shows, I think, the great attraction of jump racing is that it can happen to any horse and uh, to any owner and trainer. Do you think he'd have been able to achieve what he's achieved with any other trainer? I, I, that's by... I, the answer is probably, you know, if you, there's an awful lot of very good trainers out there, uh, you know, and if they get the right horse, but uh, if they would have, I mean, I think done as equally as good a job as Gordon, but I think what Gordon has is this remarkable insight, uh, a willingness to try different things, 
you know, I mean, this Tiger Roll who had won a, a, the, the Triumph Hurdle had gone wrong over in his first season over Chase Fences was nothing particular. He was a small horse, didn't seem to jump them very well, and he'd gone quite sour at the game. Gordon sent him off hunting with Keith Donahue, uh, who's played a huge role in uh, Tiger Roll's development, um, and you know has sweetened him up, has tried different things, and I think. You know, I think Gordon's great talent is to see something there that no, none, certainly none of the rest of us can see and um, to bring it to fruition. But there's an awful lot of equally good trainers here in Ireland and in England. Um, and while Gordon is very talented, you know, I'd like to think that if other trainers got the same uh, resources, they might have seen it too. There's no doubt he's an incredibly special horse because he's so unusual, as you were saying. You're someone who tends to be able to keep their head at all times, but did you manage to immerse yourself fully in it yesterday and sort of lose it gloriously at any point? It's very hard not to get caught up in the excitement of uh, of the win yesterday. I mean, I, there was I am um, you know David will bear this out. There was a very strange tingly kind of sensation yesterday before the race. You know, I'm someone who dislikes all the hype that yeah. goes around these horses anyway. Um, you know, and the hype we, we normally finish up disappointed but there was so much hype before the race there was so much I think public support for him and you know to come and do what he did and in many respects to win it almost slightly easier than the previous year and um, it made for a great story and I thought the atmosphere afterwards which is a great credit to Ainsley like, you know Ainsley have done a, a, a phenomenal job with that festival um, it improves every year they improve the facilities every year you know Cheltenham is hard to compete with but Aintree and I think the, the team at Aintree under Rose Patterson have done a wonderful job in the last couple of years and there was just it was a great occasion and as David rightly says it was one of those things you know on your deathbed you'll say well I was there and I remember it it was just a, a pleasure and a privilege to be involved with it in any in any way whatsoever. And I, I was watching footage from the from the press conference, and I could sense you were already feeling a degree of of pressure and protectiveness towards the horse as, as regards his as regards his future. And, and I guess that that's something that'll that'll prey on your mind a little bit during the summer. Not, I mean, not really, Nick. I'm going to pray. You know, we'll have him back here for summer holidays in Jiggenstown uh, through the summer. You know, but it. it the, the sad, you know, we have great days like this, but everyone's talking about next year, next year, next year. And really, we should just savour this, enjoy it. You know, this is history being made yesterday. Maybe, you know, I think we didn't enjoy Red Rum sufficiently while he was winning those Grand Nationals. I think he got all of the, uh, he got all of the credit that he was due in the years after he retired. We should savour and enjoy these moments. I was just making the point yesterday, you know, I think... It's very unlikely he'll come back and run in it again next year. He will be, you know, carrying top weight. Um, he is a small horse, and every time he runs now, I get nervous. You know, we want to make sure that nothing... That, I would hate for anything uh, unfortunate to happen to him while he's racing. Um, and, you know, his main target this year was the cross-country in Cheltenham. I think that'll probably be his main target again next year. But I, I really wouldn't want to, for his sake, and I think for the sake of the race, bring him back carrying, shouldering huge lumps of weight. Um, you know, and there's no reason to, for, you know, to, to emulate uh, Red Rum's feats. Red Rum was, man, saved the Grand National, put the race back on the map at a time when he was struggling in the 70s. Tiger Roll isn't Red Rum. He is a, you know, he's Tiger Roll. And I feel no pressure to go back and try and win it a third time or ask him to uh, hump huge loads of weight around Aintree. Let's just enjoy the two wins he's had in Aintree and let's enjoy the four wins he's had in Cheltenham. So if I was to sum it up, you would say you're adopting a, a policy of horse first, history second. 
I think that's always been the case, you know, I mean, with Gordon, with the entire team, you know, it's horse first. If he was a huge, big, strapping chaser like a Don Cossack or, you know, Raph Vinden yesterday, who I thought was going to win the race, yeah, fine, you'd ask him to carry 12 stuff. But he's a small horse. Um, he is, uh, you know, there's huge public affection for him. And I think we're duty-bound to mind him now, uh, you know, finally, let's name him at Shelton next year. But I would be strongly of the view if he was to win the, the, the cross-country in Shelton next year for a third time, which would be his fifth win in Shelton, I would see no reason uh, not to retire him at that point in time and let him go out on a high. I know you're a busy man and you, you don't get too much uh, downtime, but it, when he does uh, come to Jigginstown for his, his summer holidays, do you get a chance to spend a, a little time with him and go out and see him and, and make a fuss of him? Absolutely. I mean, we have, uh, there's two fields um, close to the house where we keep, uh, currently we have Don Cossack, uh, War of Attrition, Rule the World, um, who we retired immediately after he won the Gold Cup. Um, and you know the uh, the kids like going out feeding them they give them carrots apples uh, it's a very special thing for my children um, I don't think they appreciate you know how fortunate they are to have these champions uh, around uh, them they think it's kind of normal um, but and you know it also gives the, the, the horses deserve the break they enjoy their summer they're very well looked after um, and we send them back fresh and well to Gordon to Henry to the other trainers um, at the end of July, and hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll all go back in training next year and run safely and successfully, but come home well. And to what extent do you think this horse's exploits will mean that the the sort of O'Leary dynasty, if you like, carries on? To what extent do you think it will excite your your own children to the point where this is something that that they will feel passionate about for the rest of their lives? Uh, honestly, I. I, I I think we've had so much success. I mean, as you know, Eddie, who does all the money, we've had so much success over the last 10 or 15 years. You know, we, this can't be repeated, and nor can it be sustained, regardless of the amount of money you throw at it. So uh, I would hope in future the children will understand, you know, we were very fortunate for a period of time. We won a lot of these big races, but it's not sustainable. They should go off and do something else, something much more sensible with their lives <laughs> than uh, throwing lots of money at uh, buying silly jump horses. I, I think but, this is very sensible, Michael. It's much yeah, more fun. It's much more fun as well. It is. It's, I mean, look, days like that, days at Cheltenham, as you all, uh, as we all know, these are the days that, that the sport is built around, uh, and you, you get occasionally horses come along. I mean, he's not the best horse in the world. He's not the best chaser in the world, but. He is a horse who has generated enormous affection, and I think he has taken racing, you know, which is good for jump racing, beyond the back pages to some of the front pages and the middle pages, and anything that's good for the sport that puts Aintree, Cheltenham at these great days on the pedestal um, is great, and uh, you know, we're very lucky and thrilled to be a very small bit player in that. And did you manage any sleep last night or not? I very I, I did I have with my, the children I have my under my Tiana my is heading for uh, driving her now to an under tens rugby blitz at, uh, in about the next fifteen minutes so it doesn't matter you know my children don't really worry about winning grand nationals they have much more important things like the NACE under tens late girls rugby blitz takes much greater precedence today I just said it has to be finished in time for the homecoming in Summerhill at five o'clock this evening um, but. 
she thinks the rugby is much more important. How would you price them up in the nice under-10s this afternoon? Uh, they have a very good team, and uh, like her father, she is uh, she has the f- the flight, not the fight gene. Uh, she's a very speedy winger, uh, and hopefully, but uh, hopefully they'll all uh, play well, score a couple of tries, and have a great day. It's a lovely sunny day here in Ireland, so I think we'll have great fun in Summerhill at five o'clock this evening. I hope Gordon will have sobered up by that. He was last seen in the pub in Summerhill at about three o'clock this morning uh, with the jockey in tow. So at least the horse will be fresh and well, if not the trainer and the jockey. And if it ended at three o'clock, that'd have been an early finish by their standards. I'd say, Michael, thank you so much. Thank it, you very much. Enjoy, Steve. enjoy, and enjoy you. some more. We will. Thank you very much. God bless. Thanks a lot, Michael O'Leary. There, uh, the headline, of course, will be: Does he go back for the third national? But there is a lot to what he says about trying to just enjoy what was an incredible moment. Absolutely. I mean, um, I think he just summed it up there. I mean, I mean, the horse is an un- unbelievable horse, and. Uh, you know the the public have really taken to him, and and you know exactly what Michael is saying. It's very very true. It's it's you know the he's got to carry. If he did go back again, he would have to carry top weight. Um, you know, and I think like I said, you know we should just enjoy the horse for what he is and and how good and how special he is. How how aware were you of what was going on a few places up front of you? Well, I actually followed. I tracked him down the second circuit for the for the whole way, and um, Davy had him, had him in a lovely rhythm. Um, and I was about two lengths behind him until I missed Canal Turn, and then I dropped off him, um, and then I got back to him a little bit again. But but then he was by the fifth last, um, he he'd gone on again, you know. And do you do you always have a plan to follow X or Y in the in the national? Um, my sort of route that I've always seemed to take in for the last four or five years, I've sort of always been down near the inner. But it just so happened that I ended up a couple of horses fell, and I ended up sort of going out towards. You know the, the the middle or whatever, and I and I looked up and I could see he was in front of me, and I thought, well, if he's there and I'm two lengths behind him, I'm not really in a bad position. So um, yeah, I followed him for as for as long as I could, and unfortunately, I couldn't go, and he went, and uh, you know, super horse, absolute super horse. Uh, were you ever enjoying yourself in the race yesterday, or was he not really taking to it? No, uh, my lad, to be fair, he he loved it. He jumped. I mean, my horse is probably, he's I'd say he's nearly a little bit smaller than Tiger Roll. Um, but he unfortunately just had too much. He had too much weight. He had 11 stone six, and uh, you know it was first first run over then, and he probably didn't quite get a trip as well. But I mean, I had a great great spin for a circuit and a half, yeah. And even having won the race yourself, is the magic ever lost on you? I know it's just it's a super race. Um, you know, I think as you get a little bit older, um, you sort of have there's a lot different with the jockeys in the in the in the way room. The senior senior jockeys were. It's it's a different when we're younger we're all buzzing and we're excited and and stuff like that and then as you get a little bit older you're thinking you get a little bit more quieter and you think right let's go out here and try look after look after the horse look after ourselves and you know we you kind of get you get a, the, the more times you ride in the race and the more times you ride over them you sort of you know the first thing you go you go out there and make sure your horse is enjoying it and he's jumping well and stuff like that. get him into a nice rhythm. And then once you get your horse into a nice rhythm, it's a lot easier to to relax into it and just enjoy the moment. Yeah. Then, but when if your horse isn't isn't relaxed and he isn't jumping, it's it's not as pleasurable. Whereas the younger jockeys, I suppose, would be thinking, "Well, this is great fun." Whereas the older jockeys are seeing a different angle to it. 
I mean, they used to watch it and they used, there was quite a bit of chaos factor about it. Dave, uh, when the 37 remaining runners had to bypass the first fence out on the second circuit through a very, very yeah, yeah. narrow funnel almost out onto the, onto the access road, and we were looking at it thinking, what is going to happen here? Everyone, to a man or woman who was watching it around our monitor, said, wow, that's amazing horsemanship, because everyone's taken a pull, been really sensible, and just, I think there's a feeling of responsibility towards the race now from these guys that maybe there wasn't 10, 20 uh, years ago. I mean, there was a palpable sense of apprehension, because there's a, the, the, the TV shot is the back shot of the runners, and you see how narrow that funnel is. It was really amazing for 37 of them to negotiate their way through that. And that's, that's responsibility, isn't it, essentially? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was tight. It was tight. But like you say, you, you can just see all the jockeys here. We're all making sure. We know, we know it's a tight angle. Um, you know, and there's no, there's no barge. No one's trying to barge up the other horses or, you know, try and get a positive. You just literally, you kind of fall into a line. And then, like you say, you know, we're, we're obviously advised now to use the full, full width of the course. And as you see going down to the next fence there, we all spread out to... You know, to use the full width of the course, and because if you think about it, like Aintree, it's you know it is pretty much two long straights. Obviously, you've got the canal turn and 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 the beaches, but you're not actually losing as much ground as everyone. You know, as one's thinking, oh, you you can't go too wide. You know, there's actually plenty of room there if you, if we spread them out. And you know, like you say, we're all we're all sensible jockeys at the end of the day. We all want to win, but you know, we are sensible at the end of the day as well. Well, there are so many component parts of the, of the Tiger Roll story. We've heard from Michael O'Leary, who always gives good copy. We're going to hear from Gordon Elliott, I hope, at some point during the course of the programme. Davy Russell, Keith Donoghue, who's done so much work on him. He was bred by Dali. He was unraced on the flat. But the man who debuted Tiger Roll on the race course before he was sold to Jiggenstan was a man who had ridden a Grand National winner in 1991, Nigel Hawke. And this was Tiger Roll's race course debut at Market Race. And unusually, for an unraced horse on the flat, he won a juvenile hurdle on his debut, subsequent to which he was sold, I think, for around 80000 And the man who trained him on this occasion, Nigel Hawke, joins us on the line now. Nigel well, good morning. Morning, Nick. Morning. This seems like an eternity ago, Tiger Roll winning it at Market Race. Now, when you look at the extraordinary things that he's accomplished between, between then and now, how do, how do you reflect back on this early part of his career? I think that obviously, like this is the day, I think the whole story is lovely. I mean, obviously, bought the horse three, four years to do, to do a job. Uh, bought it at Doncaster in August, September won the race at market raising and it was always the the, the job was always to sell the horse and take it to sales in Cheltenham after on the juvenile and, and see what price would happen um obviously that day we weren't going to give him away um that was the price and that was the price we wanted if he didn't get sold that day i would have run in the following day in the juvenile at Cheltenham. so we sort of we always we always fought a lot off the horse the horse was originally bought to win a mile and a half bumper, well-bred, typical Godolphin type of horse, and moving on that way. Um, where the, the plan changed, obviously, a little bit, the day we started scoring because he was very, very good. He was a natural jumper, and that's why we obviously went the juvenile hurdle route. Uh, I think I found a week race around market race, and funny, I had uh, lunch with Tim the other day, and he thought the second. He, he thought he couldn't get beat that day, so we must probably be quite a good horse that day. But... The, the, the horse was thought to be sold from day one, and it, it, was, it was good business at the time. I mean, whatever happened afterwards, it, it, it's great for everybody, and it's great for racing. Yes, yeah, it really is a, a quite remarkable story, and you could have had all the foresight in the world and not predicted how, how things would unfold. We hear quite a lot about the horse's character 
what a, a fun horse he is to be around, what an intelligent horse he is. Did you see glimmers of that even in that brief period of time that you had him? Yeah, he was. It, he was an absolute star in that turn. He was a bit of a Jack the Lad. Um, I thought I always joke with Roddy Green about it, but poor Roddy could never quite get on with the horse, if you know. But he was just a little bit of a chap, the lad, but he had that ability, he had that character. And I always sort of, sort of tell the story when he went to the sales, I went out myself with him for three days um, because we had to keep the work into it. Obviously, because we were going to run at Cheltenham the day after. And uh, back in my younger days, I was a bit like as well, I rode it myself each day around Cheltenham. And then he, he was just. It was just a pleasure to be with. Uh, to do what I did with a free road around Chelsea was, was fantastic. I, it's one of those silly things, but we go into racing because we love our horses. And I, I bonded, though. I loved the horse at the time because we, we spent so much time together. And it was, it was just a lovely story. And do you cheer him on every time he runs? Yes, yes, yes. I've got to because, I, you know, as I said yesterday, a lot of people, I, I felt very honoured that my small clog in the world, you know, I've just got a small part of the horse, but it's, I'm very proud to be part of that horse, and obviously, you know, for winning the national once in my time as well, I, I'm a very lucky person. And I suppose the fact that, that you won the Grand National as a rider back in back in 91, I suppose that intensifies the feeling, because I guess it, it brings it all flooding back to you and what the race means to you. Exactly, exactly, all these things, and you know, it's, you know I've got to be realistic, when when we sold the horse, um, I said to Gordon at the time, I thought he was telling for the Fred Winter at the time for the Cheltenham, uh, possibly the Triumph, but Gordon would be the same. We, we never, ever visualised this horse to do what he went and did afterwards. And, you know, you've got to take your hat off to Gordon. I mean, I've been well known. He lost his way for 18 months, but, from, you know, basically a horse that won a two-mile Triumph hurdle to run him in the sort of four-mile national chase, that's a fair step. And um, it, it made the horse, the cross-country races made the horse as well. It's, a, it's an amazing story, and I, I know you're very proud to play a part of it. Uh, any more Tiger rolls you've got for sale, Nigel? <laughs> I've got an intimate in my living room now, and I'm just trying to turn them another Tiger roll, so hopefully a few on the market somewhere along the line. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. We try and write every script here on Luck on Sunday. We did with Tiger Roll yesterday, of course, winning his second Grand National. We were hoping that John Joe Neal would be on the score sheet yesterday at Aintree. Close but no cigar. Second on Mr Malarkey to kill his art and Daryl Jacob. And the two rivals are upsides once again here in the studio. John Joe Neal Jr., good morning. Morning. Thank and you for being here. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, Cheltenham Festival winning rider as well this season. It's going really well for you in the round, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's going nicely at the minute. Uh, just hopefully can keep the ball rolling and continue. And Daryl was busy singing your praises beforehand, but you know I didn't want to sort of embarrass you by asking him to do it now. But um, he said you seem to have it all, seem to have all the attributes required to to go all the way. At the beginning of this season, did you have any sort of goals or targets? Um, not really. To be honest, I wanted to get to my three pound claim, but I only started the end of October, so. It was hard to kind of think about anything really further than that, but I just wanted to kind of get my quality higher, uh, keep improving, and that, that, that's, it's, that's how it's gone. So I'm happy with the way the season's gone. And when you are the son of the great man and your name is also John Joe, there is bound to be a huge weight of, of expectation. Have you always felt that weight of expectation, or have you managed to think it is an advantage rather than a disadvantage? Uh, I suppose you could take it either way, but I probably like I I think it's probably a good thing. It's nice to have uh, a name uh, the, the, the same as Dad. You know, it, you could you could think it's 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 a big pressure, but 
a lot of people have asked me that over the years and have kind of come immune to the question. I, I don't think it, it doesn't really bother me at all. Um, uh, and it's nice just to be affiliated with the, with the same name. Oh, absolutely, and, and you know, absolute legend in the saddle, and look at all the huge winners he's trained as well. Uh, does he give you a lot of advice with your your riding, or does he try and let you find your own way a little bit? No, he does. He's he's very good. Uh, like he, he's with with trainer. Like obviously, I'm conditional to him. With a trainer, like he would have no. Uh, problem telling me I went wrong and he'll tell me because he's my dad as well he'll tell me exactly how it is uh, doesn't matter what 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 the score is to tell me exactly how it is so I know he's he's my uh, number one fan and like number one mentor so like I feel very lucky I'm probably one of the only people um, that really has that so I like I'm very privileged in that way what what do you think are, are the most important things he's he's passed on to you about about race riding and just about the way you you go about the business uh, say very level-headed. You know, um, you can't. You, you only have one go about it in a race, and you, and you can look at it every different way uh, after the race. But you can't beat yourself up because, and you, you can you can go back and look at it and see what you did wrong, and then and then forget about it because if you if you drive you drive yourself mad otherwise. Uh, but as long as you learn from the mistake, um, it, it you know you j- just move on. But he's like dad. He takes the lows with the highs very very well. So I think. You, obviously, you, you lose more than you win. You have to be very good at losing as well as good at winning. So I think I've 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 I've, I've learned that from him. So it's just that even-handedness, level-headedness. You're not one for going and getting the video out when you get home and watching over and over and over and over again. No, I would always watch the replays, uh, and I would watch them plenty, but I wouldn't beat myself up about it. I, I'd watch it and realize what I did wrong, or or um, or, or how it went well, and, and and then forget about it and look on to the next day. You had to wait to the very last race of the Cheltenham Festival to to walk into the winners' enclosure in those celebrated green and gold colours of J.P. McManus for Joseph O'Brien as well. Uh, there were so many layers of significance to that win. Which part of it gave you the most satisfaction? Um, it, you know, it's I've like dreamed kind of that that kind of uh, moment literally since I was probably seven or eight years old uh, to, to, to ride to, to ride a winner at Cheltenham uh, for uh, JP was like unbelievable to do it for Joseph as well who was also just well he's been in the training ranks it seems like forever but he's, he's done like magnificent magnificently for the amount of time he's uh, been training and to do it from him when uh, his dad Aidan obviously uh, we're kind of in a similar situation and to do it together, and then for JP, who's been a huge patron for both of us, uh, was it was just really, really special. And you you beat a strongly fancied horse as well in, in Dallas. They picked on in second. Was this a was this a race you went out thinking I've got an exceptional chance here, and I just have to minimise my errors all the way around, or did the horse surprise you in any way? I did really, really fancy him, uh, and there were good vibes coming from everyone I was speaking to. Uh, so we didn't get as good as a start as we wanted because of the um, standing start, mm-hmm. and he kind of just shied away. And he wasn't really taking me the first mile or so, uh, but I wasn't worried. And I, we went a good gallop, so I, I knew if I could get him into a good position down the back, and he he got he he got himself out of trouble a few times and got in there. So I knew I had plenty of horse left, so I wasn't too worried. And to be fair, the more trouble I was getting him, the, he, he's a little terrier really. It was probably probably helping him so probably wasn't a bad thing. Daryl, people always say, oh, you just go out and treat 
all these races at Cheltenham an entry like any other race. But that, it must be incredibly difficult to close yourself off and get yourself into that mindset when all, all of it's going on around you. And just the general energy and rhythm to the races is so different. Oh, definitely. I mean, like <coughs> Cheltenham and Aintree, all these, all these big meetings, I mean, there's a lot of pressure, and especially for, for juniors as well, you know, riding for JP and stuff like that. There's a lot of pressure, and uh, that's one thing about him. He's nice, cool, cool customer, and, uh, you know, he probably went out there, you know, trying to think that he was just down at, you know, Taunton or Sedgefield, and, um, you know, he, I thought he'd give him a very, very good ride that day, I mean, um, and I think that's just the talent that the boy is. And, and John, are you are you going to just put your foot down now and just keep going all the way through through the summer, or are you going to try and preserve that last bit of the claim? What is there a strategy behind the next step to the to the career? Uh, I haven't spoken about it yet, but to be honest, I've had uh, a license for the last four years now. Um, like I was amateur for two years, mm-hmm. and then this is my second full season conditional, and I've had a few injuries um, the last few summers, and it probably hasn't been a bad thing because I've able to. Uh, get a bit of experience and then and then take stock and learn a bit about the training side with dad um, and, and all of that kind of like I want to ride I want to be a jockey so all, but all of everything kind of helps and it can you, you can use it into um, uh, being a jockey so I think I've gained experience not necessarily just from riding but from from everywhere kind of in the industry uh, and so I feel I'm experienced now to 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 kind of put my foot down, and you know, I, I'd like to do as as well as I can. Now I'm into my three pound claim, but I've like I, I've been riding for the last few years and, and 21, so I feel as if I'm able yeah. to kind of take the next step now. So you've almost been, but it's been a blessing in disguise. Almost you've been able to elongate the kind of building process, if you like, to get to where you are now. It's not as though everything's happened overnight. I think so. Yeah, I certainly haven't flew within one season yeah I've uh, I've probably been a slow burner but I don't think it's probably been been the worst thing for myself yeah that's, that's, that's a good thing though I mean because you see some conditionals they you know they can rattle through their claim once they get known they can rattle through their claim very very quickly and like you say it is a massive step we were talking before it's a massive step from losing your claim to going to the big boys and I think, like you say, what, what Junior's done there is he's protected that very, very well, and it's, I think it's only going to stand him in really good stead for the future. And I suppose the other part of it, uh, Jojo, is, is, is expanding your network of contacts as well and sort of expanding the, the amount of people you ride for. Obviously, you're, you, you're getting a little association going with, with Colin Tizar. We saw you riding Mr. Malarkey yesterday, and I suppose that's just all part of the next step, isn't it? Yeah, for sure, yeah, and, you know, trying to build up good relationships with other trainers as well. Obviously, I, I go into Dad's um, a good few times a week, but I'd like to spread my wings out as well, and, and he'd like me to do that as well, so hopefully that can continue. And you mentioned that you were sort of helping him a little bit with the with the training in, in, in those summers and so forth and learning a bit more about that. Is that. Do you see yourself just following through the natural progression post the riding days in 20 years' time or whenever it is? Uh, not necessarily. I'm... It's it's definitely not at the forefront of my mind. Um, I like the idea of it, uh, and I'm very interested in that side of things. But uh, it's it, it's it's very very competitive now, mm-hmm. and it's it's very very difficult. Um, like dad, dad dad's done amazingly for to to be a jockey, uh, 
and then to have cancer and then to come up and be a trainer and to do as well as he's done as as a trainer. Uh, it's it's very very difficult now though, and it's got very it's it's so competitive, and you only kind of realise it when you're when you're in the midst and and realise what Dad has to do and all the team at Jack Dawes Castle behind the scenes. Like it, there is so much work that goes into it. Um, but for me, definitely uh, uh, riding is my number one at the minute, and I'm not really looking past that. And I know your your mum Jackie plays a plays a huge part in the in the running of, of Jack Dawes Castle as well, and the, the, they make a they make a terrific partnership. Yeah, she's unbelievable. Like she's everyone's rock at the yard, but especially uh, Dad uh, and uh, me and AJ and my brothers and sisters Tom, Jilly and Lou. Like she is unbelievable, and quite simply, like Jack Dawes would not happen without Mum. She's the real sort of driving, driving force. I, I, I actually was trying to run after you yesterday at, at Aintree just to make sure you were still okay for this morning. And I ran up and tapped you on the shoulder. And t- I, I realised it was your brother AJ. So I, it, it, I, I, ne- I nearly got the wrong O'Neill in, this, in the studio this morning. Uh, is he likely to just follow seamlessly in your in your footsteps? Uh, no, I, he's just got his amateur license. Um, and he is a very good natural rider. Uh, whether he'll do it professionally, I'm not sure. He he likes to explore other avenues. He's at university at the minute, uh, and he's into uh, business studies and stuff like that. So whether he'll go into it professionally, I'm not sure. But he he's got an amateur license, so I think he'll probably have, have a few races over the summer and, and see how he gets on. It sounds like he'll just be richer than all of us. By the time he's, by the Probably time he's likely. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of your your own grounding for the sport, I know, I realised that you you had an advantage as far as you were around racehorses and you were riding them a lot, and it, it was in a sense predestined. But you were a, a big hit on the pony racing scene as well before before you got your amateur license. Did that really help you meaningfully? Uh, definitely help. Like I think I, I I wouldn't follow the pony racing. Uh, uh, as much now, uh, but the, at the time I was doing it, we had like Sean and James Bowen, Harry Cobden, uh, Stan Shepard. There, there was and I, I'm missing out loads of names, but there was there was so many. Uh, it's a strong group. There were so isn't many it? good riders, yeah, um, and we we're all kind of, we we're all the same age. Um, so I think, and you know, when you ride with better people, it's like when you play. When you work horses with better horses, you, they, they tend to they tend to go better. When you play with a with a better yeah. team in football or something, you, you 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 raise your game a bit. And I think when we were we were all in the same group, I think it raised the standard of pony racing. I think it 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 put us um, in good stead. Yeah, and it's putting young British-based jockeys on a better footing relative to their their Irish counterparts, isn't it, Daryl? Because obviously the tradition of getting on ponies and racing in Ireland has gone back years and years and years, relatively recent in in this country. But if you you were a kid straight out of pony club and you go to a a pony race and you're up against O'Neill, Cobden, Shepherd and all those other names that he mentioned, that's a a pretty tough beat, isn't it? I I think it's fantastic what what they've done in Britain, Um, you know, with the the young jockeys... um, Bring along because Ireland, you know, the Irish jockeys have been so far ahead for for a long time, haven't they? And um, with all the pony racing coming through and stuff like that, and like you say, we just you named a few of the boys there that have come through the pony club, and it definitely, you know, it's a really good bunch of lads there that that have come through, and you know, the point to point in as well in Ireland is very very competitive. And the point to point over here is getting very competitive as well. So I think it, in all in all, it stands everyone in really good stead.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Delighted to welcome our next guest to the studio, the hero of Thursday at Aintree, which was not quite as glorious as it was yesterday weather-wise, but it was glorious for you, Tabitha Worsley, because your biggest day in the saddle so far on Topwood. Congratulations. Uh, it's just an amazing day. I said nothing's going to top that for a long time, that's for sure, and just a very special day. Has it, has it sunk in? You're still, you're still smiling just at the thought of it. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I've watched the replay so many times and just still can't quite believe it happened. But, no, just incredible. Some horse as well. He's an amazing horse. And we were talking earlier, and, and John Joe was talking about the, the horses who put everything into a race at Cheltenham and then come out barely three weeks later and, and do it again. He ran his guts out at Cheltenham. He did, yeah. And it, he's a horse that actually likes to be fresh. And he didn't have a prep run for Cheltenham because the ground was too quick and we were just getting a bit close to the festival. And Kelly... She's unbelievable, knows how to get a horse there, so we took him straight there, and it was always a worry that it would come too quick, but he came out of the race unbelievably fresh, and I mean, he's run the race of his life there and just stuck his head out all the way to the line. And was it always a pleasure throughout this race? Was he was he an, a straightforward ride, dare I say, it, for, for most of the race? Yeah, he was. He, he actually uh, didn't travel uh, as well as he sometimes does early, but he was just warming to the task, and he jumped the canal turn and sort of grabbed the bridle, and he just felt like he loved it the whole way, and then... I say he's just kept on galloping and he's just taken me to the front and just kept on going from there. And tell me about your association with Kelly Morgan because she's, from relatively few opportunities, already shown that she's a serious operator. Oh, she's just, both Kelly and Laura, they, they both know how to get horses absolutely spot on. And uh, I had a ride for her, picked up a spare pointing uh, a couple of years ago and I actually got completely run away with. Uh, but thankfully it won and uh, we've sort of gone from there. And for a small string of horses, she does very, very well with them. And it must be nice for you to be getting on slightly better, slightly classier horses because I, I've seen you riding under rules a lot. And I, I was talking about it yesterday that you're obviously incredibly brave because I've seen you ride some <laughs> horses that a lot of other jockeys just wouldn't go anywhere near with more letters than numbers by their name. Brave or stupid, I think, is probably the more question. But uh, no, riding for people that uh, like them... They're not going to put you on anything that they don't think safe, and I'll ride anything for them because they're just they're brilliant people. In terms of your own sort of career, where do you think this is going to take you? We'll find out. Uh, hopefully, just just keep getting on some nice horses and just keep progressing. And I mean, to be riding in races like that is what every amateur wants, isn't it? And if we can keep progressing, pick up more pointing rides, and just keep riding nice winners like that, I'll be happy. Would you ever turn pro? Uh, I, I've thought about it and I mean I've had a lot of rides under rules this year so it's something to consider but if I went pro I wouldn't have had a day like Thursday um, so it's a very tough one and I think it's very tough if you're not associated with a really big yard mm. um, I'm very lucky I've got lots of little yards um, but at the moment I'll stay amateur and everybody warmed to the story because it's been an incredibly difficult journey for you to get back to the saddle just take us back to the day that you, you broke your back yeah, I was uh, riding at Ludlow in an amateur race and he just was very unlucky. He was running a very good race, just clipped the top of the last and hit the ground. I knew it was bad when I hit the ground, but I'm actually very lucky. Lots of jockeys have had worse injuries than me and come back and I'm very lucky to be back doing the sport I love. And so this was uh, when about exactly? About 18 months ago. About 18 months ago. November 17. And what was the prognosis at the time? What did they tell you? Uh, at the time, they would say I'd be out for the season. Um, and then I got down to Oaksy. And they said three months is realistic. And uh, then it gave you that target to work towards. And when you've got something to work towards, it's a lot easier to get back quicker. 
And is that sort of level of determination always been in you? Are you naturally competitive, determined, sporty, etc.? Yeah, I played a lot of sport coming through um, up the ages. Played a lot of hockey as a youngster, and it teaches you to sort of deal with the disappointments as well, which I think massively helps. And then just celebrate the the good days. And so, when you came back, did it did it feel easy to come back in terms of when you actually got back on a horse? Was it okay? This has never happened, or was it physically pretty demanding? Uh, the first few rides back, sort of, it, it felt a bit different, but then sort of got going again and rode a winner. And then I got injured again, but <laughs> uh, then I got back and it's I just not looked back since then, really. Just kept going forward. And for a horse like this and a race like this, as you say, he's, he is what every amateur dreams of. He seems to try so hard. Oh, he gives you everything. He gives you absolutely everything. And that's why he, he doesn't always bounce back as quickly from races because he really does put everything into it. But he, he seems to have come out of this one very, very well as well, so... And did you know when, when a horse joined you and went past you, did you know it was Derek O'Connor on, on Burning Ambition? Uh, when he first went past, no, then he got a little bit ahead and I, I knew it was. And uh, as soon as he went ahead, his stopped and Woody started picking up again. And as soon as he started picking up, I was pretty sure he'd go on and win it again. And you were saying he's not a horse that you can really get stuck into. You have to just sort of finesse him a little bit and be kind Yeah, he, he wouldn't want battering. He, 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 you can sort of tap him with a stick, but he's much more shout at him, encourage him, and just sort of kid him along. And he, he loves to sort of take you. If you grab hold of him, he'll, he'll sort of take against you almost. And he just loves being just kidded along. And I, I was saying that you, you would take most rides, and even if the horse wasn't necessarily the safest conveyance. Have you changed your, your policy on that, or are you still pretty, are you still pretty gung-ho? Uh, I, I'd be a little bit more picky than I was before I went back. Um, but again, it, it, riding for the right people, they'll put you on the right horses, and I've got some, some owners that they've got not bad horses, but they're not as easy. But I trust the work they do at home, and I trust that they're going to look after me. And what's day-to-day what's day -day life for you like now? Because obviously you're not, you're not riding in races every day of the week. Well, do, you, do you have a, a yard as well? Of we, we've got a yard at home with about seven to run. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually due to have my first runner in the next couple of weeks that I've trained, and uh, just try and, try and build that up at home as well, and then get in and ride out in lots of different yards when I can. So is this a, this a runner in a point-to-point -point or a point-to-point? point, point, point yeah. yeah. And would, is that going to lead to maybe a... A, a full license in in time, or or is it all one step uh, at a time at the moment? One step at a time. I'm not ready to give up riding at the minute, so um, just keep going. And maybe in the future, look to train. But uh, at the moment, very much focused on just the racing and the riding. And when you were when you were growing up and, and when you were going through school, was it was this always what you were going to do? Were you always going to ride, train, be with horses, or were there other were there other things that were there on the horizon? Uh, I, I've always done horses, pony club hunting, come up through it all. Uh, I played hockey to a high level as well, and uh, coming up through uni was probably when I had to start, start making a choice, mm. and uh, latterly, very much the racing took over, and uh, I don't play hockey at all anymore. So it's, it's, it's just taken over racing. It, it's racing all the way. Other way. I mean, when, when you say you, you played hockey to a high level, was it, was, were you there with sort of Olympic aspirations? That sort of, could that uh, have been a possibility? Just below, I was just short of that level, but did all the, the junior age group stuff and was just shy of just England level juniors, but the horses was always probably probably took priority. And at the moment, Dave, the, the, the amateur sport is, I'm not saying it's under, under threat, but it's come under a bit of scrutiny. We saw it at, yeah. we saw it at Cheltenham. Um, when you see finishes like the one in, in the Fox Hunters and very 
a sensible, responsible, and very good riding. I think it's putting the amateur sport in the right. In yeah, the right it place. is. I mean, I, I think that personally, I thought that in the, the wake of the National Hunt Chase, the BHA, I, I thought they they could have. They should have been much more reflective and much more measured rather than put out a statement within about half an hour of the race criticising jockeys and saying, if you're not going to behave yourselves, we will look at, uh, we will look at taking the ball away. I, you know, I think that the, the BHA's MO generally is to behave with, uh, with measure and caution, and I think they should have done that there. I mean, I'm a massive fan of... Uh, of point to pointing, I think it's almost it's almost racing's unknown secret. Although the crowds at the tracks are big, if you go into urban areas, no one has ever really been to a point to point, and it's fantastic. You know, I mean, you, you can you can go wherever you want. There's a beer tent. Oh, okay, the percentages uh, with the the bookmakers aren't exactly uh, what you might want them to be, but it's just a fantastic. When if you like pure sport in in, a, in an era where money, uh, you know, all we talk about is that is the the money that football has earned, for example. You go and watch amateur jockeys in a point-to-point -point, giving it their absolute all for a prize that's probably 300 quid or something that, that wouldn't even pay for the transport um, for the horse to the race course and back. And it's, it's changed a bit over the years because even when I started going, you see some ruddy-faced huntsman who was about 50 riding against a 17-year-old who obviously had aspirations to be a professional jockey. You don't see quite as many of the ruddy-faced old boys, I don't think, these days. But it, it, it's a great place to go. You know, the, the, it's, it's, it's got things that even going to watch professional horse racing hasn't, you know, that just the freedom to go around. That, I, I love, I, I've not been this, this winter. At Penshurst, uh, a couple of weekends ago, I was snowed under with national stuff. Obviously today yeah. um, is national follow-up day, so I can't come to Godston. But, you know, I've seen Tabitha ride in the, the southeast, and I think it's, it's something that um, is, is almost, well, not almost, I think it's something that's, that's undersold. Uh, but with regard to the, the amateur races it, it, at professional meetings, they're a very, very precious thing, and they're a, they're a great thing to watch. I actually saw an amateur rider in the weighing room before uh, the Fox Hunters. He had a what seemed to be a hip flask strapped <laughs> to his midriff. I didn't tell the BHA uh, officials about this, and I'm not going to divulge their name. His but, or her midriff? Uh, it, it was a, a male. He's glad we cleared that up. But... Yeah, I, you know, as I say, it's a, it's a really, really precious thing. Obviously, it's also given great jockeys to the professional ranks as well. Yeah. But, uh, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know. I, sta I started there when I first came over to England. I started in two years, um, point to point, and with, with Robert and, and Sally Allner. And them, them two years I had were, I just gained invaluable experience. And, uh, you know, so many good horses, so many good jockeys. I mean, you know, a lot of people get a, a real buzz out of the, the point to point and stuff like that. And it's, it's something we need to cherish, really. It's, it really is. It, it, it is the essence of the sport, isn't it, as well? It's the, it's where it all it's starts. The it's the roots. Yeah. It's the and roots of it, isn't it? I sort of think that if national hunt racing is to succeed and thrive, or jump racing, call it what you want now, then it needs to have that connection to, to the sort of to sort of what you're doing, essentially, on it. Yeah, definitely, and it, it's just such a good grounding. It's such a good place for, for young jockeys to, to learn their trade and learn how to ride, and that there's less pressure. You, you can learn without everyone watching you, and as I said, pointing's just a brilliant place. And good, it's, a, it's a good community as well because you get the areas where everyone's running against each other the whole time. Have you got have you got your own little rivalries in in the southeast with people that are roughly on the same plane as you? Yeah, there's always rivalries, but it's always very friendly. It's um, 
it's a great camaraderie and the changing room's always a great fun place to be and pointing is just, as I say, the roots of the sport. And I was just reading about you yesterday and you, you were saying one of the best moments you'd had was going to Ireland to do the England-Ireland Jockeys Challenge. Just tell yeah. me a bit about that. Oh, it was great fun. Actually, I rode for Gordon, uh, which, I mean, it's an amazing thing to do because uh, my first memory of the Nationals was uh, when I was little. Uh, I wanted to put my 25p on Silver Birch when he first won, so uh, to then ride for him was just amazing and great experience going over there. And would you would you like to go to Ireland a bit more and uh, and ride there if, if you if you could? If, if there were opportunities, yeah. but um, equally take the opportunities over here, take take what I can really. And of course, everyone thinks that this is the sort of, we're coming to the end of the season. For you guys, this is it's only halfway through, really, aren't you? Yeah, it's been a funny season. The pointing season sort of it's not really got going yet, but uh, no, we've still got till till the middle of June, and Hunter Chase season doesn't finish till the middle of May, so mm. still plenty left. Are they still doing them amateur series then? When when you go abroad, like to France and and stuff like that, are they are they still doing all that series? There's not still? too many of the jumps races, but they still do for gentry on the flat and everything. Oh, so flat, um, there's lots of them. But I think Britain's with temporarily withdrawn from for gentry, haven't they? I think there's. I think there's. Uh, I think the, we might be back. Or in you back in? Yeah, are you back in? Dirt, one of the girls was over in Oman yesterday. Uh, oh right, so they were they were in Oman. You were at Aintree, yeah. riding, <laughs> riding top. With, um, fantastic though. It's been like, for, for the amateurs to get the experience to go to France, mm. go to America, go to Ireland. I think it's, I think it's a brilliant series. Mm. Just gets gets you know the amateurs, you know, and obviously the flat, and it's it's massive experience for all of them as well, and it's something. You know, they might never ever get to do, and you know, I think it's I think it's fantastic. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. We're delighted to say that my special guest uh, this week has been with us since the beginning of the program because we wanted to get his thoughts on all the racing that we've enjoyed from Aintree during the, the past week. He's had a, a fantastic career. It's been a, an up and down career in parts, but now it's firmly stabilised and continuing on the up. He's a grand national winning rider. He started off in this country riding point to point winners and then spent a, a long time with his great mentors, the legendary Robert Allner and his wife Sally. A period of time a stable jockey to Paul Nichols, which culminated in Grand National Glory on Neptune Collange and now firmly ensconced with the powerful ownership co uh, combination of Simon Munir and Isaac Swed, for whom he rode Kildesart to victory yesterday. But there have been so many more along the way, including So Royal and Bristol de May and many others. He is, of course, Daryl Jacob, who is still with me. Daryl, good to have you, and I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. Yes, it's been excellent. Thank you very much. Good, yeah, good, good. Excellent. And, and actually, I've, I've been really interested listening to, to John Joe Neal Jr. and and Tabitha Worsley there, and two young people at the at the beginning of their careers. And you must watch younger jockeys talk and engage with quite a bit of interest. And it sort of takes you back to when you first landed in England with a with a big future in front of you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, I think even even though for the length of time that I was here, from you know when I was a young lad, I mean, the game the game is always changing, isn't it? And uh, you know, just to hear them too, and 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 also being around the weigh room every every day and listening to to what younger jockeys talk about and the fun and the and the camaraderie that they have, and and also just to to the to the talent and 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 how they speak and and you know how they approach different races and stuff like that. It's very very interesting because we're in there all all the time. We're mm. in there every day, and you know you can see. You can sort of see being a, a senior jockey. He can see he's got a good brain. He's he's a nice rider. He could go far. He's here today, gone tomorrow, kind of way. So it's 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 really interesting, you know, being a younger person and now being one of the the more senior jockeys. How the whole weigh room is sort of changing all the time, really. 
And unless you're A.P. McCoy or, or Richard Johnson, the vast majority of jockeys, even when they have the kind of success you've had, have twists and turns and ups and downs, and their career has different chapters and so on and so forth. You seem to be in a, in a pretty stable period of your career, dare I say it, at the moment. You've sort of got to a level. Do you, fi- do you feel happier with that? Do you feel happier and more, more, more settled with where you are at the moment? I think I'm the happiest person in the world, if I'm being honest with you. For me, personally, I think I've got the best job in England and Ireland. You know, riding for Simon and Isaac and, and Anthony, it's, um, you know, they're three wonderful people that have, have come into my life, and um, I, I think I'm a really, really lucky guy. Because essentially, you know that the horses are generally lovely horses, aren't they? You're, you're, you're riding horses of significant quality most of the time. Yeah, they're, you know they're 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 very good. They're very very good horses, and you know, and Anthony does a, does a great job buying. Is that Anthony Bromley there, yeah, racing manager? Um, he does a great job buying them. But the great thing about our, you know, our team is that, you know, we bring these horses. We bring them along, you know. It's we bring them along for the future. We like them. You, know, you can see with Scoriel, even with Killstart, with Bristol and May, we like them to have the longevity. So they're always they're always cared for. They're always looked after to, you know, with, with targets in mind and 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 the longevity with them. And 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 Simon and Isaac, they they understand that as well. And and that means. I can go out there. I can. I've got a free reign. I can. I can do what I want. I can change tactics when I want. And and the confidence that they give you, the three of them, the confidence that they give you to go out and ride. It's like as if, dare I say, it's, it's nearly like as if you're going out on a day's hunting. You go out there. You first of all, you want your horse to enjoy it, and then you'll enjoy it, and and the whole thing folds really, really well. So you're just part of the planning process, which must give you much deeper satisfaction. When you actually walk into the winner's enclosure on one, it's not just a question of there's another winner, where's my next ride, take, take the check. It's, I've, I've almost been part of the nurturing process of this. Yeah, like I said, I've been, you know, I've been around a lot of these horses, Bristol since he was a three-year-old, top-notch, you know, Scorial. I've been around these horses since they were three-year-olds, since they've come over, and, um, you know, all these horses, they're nearly like my best friends. Because I spend a lot of time with him. I mean, I ride out in, in Nicky's and Ben Pauling's and, you know, all these noises. I ride out where all our horses are. I ride out, you know, in their yards and I get to see him, you know, a lot of the time, at least once if not twice a week. And I get to school him, I get to work him, I get to do an awful lot of homework with them before they go on a race course. And, and then I just fill it back to Anthony and Simon and Isaac. And, uh, and like you say, to see him then whenever they come on to a race course... And to blossom the way they do, to improve the way yeah. they do, it gives me a lot of satisfaction. It really does. Uh, if there are two people watching this program now, I take a, a fair bet they they may be Robert and, and Sally Ulner, your your great yeah. mentors and uh, and friends, and and people for whom the entire sport has an enormous amount of respect, particularly for Robert after his injury and the way that he's he, he's mm. dealt with that. Um, try and try and tell me why they mean so much to you. Well, I, I call it Robert. I call him the boss. I've always have since since the day I came over here. Um, they're just incredible people. I mean, they've every decision that I've made for my career since since I've come over here has been through the boss and Sally. You know, they when I started out my point to point in days, you know, they looked after me. They they gave me the experience that I needed. You know, riding young horses, four year olds over fences, um, and and obviously with the boss, he was he was an exception talent when he was a rider. Um, he was one of the best point-to-point riders, you know, around the West Country. Written numerous big winners, and also as a trainer as well. He was one of the highly respected trainers. And you know, I remember the day that you know, the boss he was he was schooling, and um, Rob Walford sat on a horse. The horse ran out with Rob, Rob Walford, and then the boss put me on it. 
it ran out with me um, through the wings and then the boss sort of lost his head and uh, he said get off it get off it and he got on it and he just literally threw the reins at us um, riding the style that he rode when he was when he was point to point and then the horse just just pinged over all, all three fences and me and Rob just looked at each other and we just shook our head and you know and, but that's the sort of talent the boss was he was he was and you can ask Andrew Thornton about him as well I mean he's you know Andrew Thornton is you know the boss gave him a really really good career and you know he's, he's just an incredible man really Do you think if it hadn't been for him and the advice he's given you all the way through your career you'd be in the place that you're in now um, well, actually, I was going to. At one stage, I was actually going to pack it in. I was going to go home and I was going to do, do another job. Um, and it was actually him and, and Sally that they persuaded me to stay on. And um, I went back and I had three or four months with them, and I ended up picking up the ride on the listener. And that was all, you know, that was all down to them. And and sort of the listener then was the first sort of flagship horse that I had, the good first good horse that I had um, to go to war with. And, and like I say, a lot of my career, a lot of the decisions that I've made is, is purely down to them. And you won three grade ones on him. What was it that was not going right for you that made you want to go home? Um, I just, I don't know, for some reason I just, I just didn't feel comfortable. I just, I didn't, I probably wasn't in the right spot, I wasn't enjoying it. I think possibly it was because I had two wonderful years with Robert and Sally point to point and, you know, I went conditioned with Paul Keane and I had a fantastic ten months with Paul Keane but... I just didn't feel happy, even though I think I had um, something like 11 or 12 winners in that 10 months for Paul Keane that, and, and you know, plenty of rides. But I had a fantastic strike rate, but I just wasn't happy. I wasn't content, and I'm not sure it was because the fun that I had the two years previously, point to point, and the experience that I learned then, it was a totally different ball game going from an amateur yeah. to to conditional, and um, whether I just didn't settle or whether. Sort of sounds like I got homesick from being at Robert and Sally's. I've, I've no idea, but I was I was on the verge of going home. I bought the ticket to go home, and thankfully they they got me down there and they changed my mind. And from then on, I just floated really. Are you someone who needs that sense of belonging? You need to be a part of something. I don't know. It's 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 a confidence thing, I suppose. And I'm always on like my mom and dad. You know, to, you know, trust is a massive thing. I think if you've got trust in in people. It's a lot easier to get on with them, isn't it? It's a lot easier because you know they're gonna they're gonna watch your back. You can watch their back. But the problem is when you start getting them little doubts about trust, that's when the relationship goes spreads. And all of my successful relationships that I've had um, have, has always been about trust. And I'm, I'm, I like to say, trust is is a big word for me. And people that I trust, it gels, we click, and we move forward. And it's always been successful. How do you how do you enjoy the limelight? Um, I'm to be fair. I just I like going about my own daily business. I mean, you know, I enjoy. It. I love doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm not someone that goes out looking for it. I just I love going racing. I love riding nice horses, and I love going home to to my wife and two kids. And I'm happy then. And I live out away from from the sort of the racing industry and. You know, I go. I just, I, just, I enjoy quite life. Mm. I, I suppose I asked that question because you, when Ruby Walsh went to, to back to Ireland to, to ride, ex- not exclusively for Willie Mullins, but he he gave up the Paul Nichols part of his his career. You were thrust into the most important job in 
in British National Hunt racing at the time. Uh, every single National Hunt fan's eyes are on how can Daryl Jacob fill the fill the, uh, the boots of Ruby Walsh. Uh, you yourself gave a very articulate, um, passionate compliment to, to, to Ruby Walsh's ability earlier on. That that must have been insanely difficult at the time. Well, it was, it was, it was obviously difficult because obviously Paul had a, a transition period as well with the horses. He didn't have quite as good a horse as, as he was had when, when obviously Ruby was there and it was a transition period you know some of the horses weren't and you know at the time he needed to rebuild um, his sort of squad and you know and it was a bit like I put it into a it's a bit like David Moyes taking over Sir Alex Ferguson it was you know David Moyes was never ever going to be Sir Alex Ferguson he's a very very talented thing but it's just you know everything that probably David Moyes think when it was always would Ruby done this, or would Sir Alex would have done this? And that was a little bit the same with me, but something I was very, very proud of is that that, that year that I was with Paul, I made him champion trainer with, with the quality that we didn't quite have. You know, he was still champion trainer, and for me that was, you know, I feel very proud of that. I feel very honoured to that the one year I was with him that he was champion trainer. And you got a Grand National winner out of it. Yeah. Which, we, no, yeah. which no one can ever take away from you, even if it was only by that much. No, exactly, yeah. That must have been a... An extraordinary day because, as you said, it had been a it had been a high octane season, a high pressure season, a high octane season. It's a good job the photo went the right way for you. Yeah, obviously, um, yeah, I suppose it was. I mean, you look at every jockey, you know, they, when they start riding racehorses, that's the you know one race do we want to be involved in, you know, and to get to get a ride. I remember the first ride that I had was was Filson Run. In 2007, for Nick Williams, Nick Williams who was, yeah. who was, I was, I, I was attached to for four years, four magic years with him, and um, he was 100 to one. My first ride in the race, and I was absolutely buzzing. You know, I, I just, you know, to it's a jockey's dream to, you know, to be associated with, and then obviously the more rides you get, and you know, the more you want to win it, and it's something that's on my CV now, and it's some, it's a day I'll never ever forget. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.